Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. Until you publish a book, you can't know for certain what the process will be like. Robin Zachary will tell you that. She is author of forthcoming Styling Beyond Instagram, Take Your Prop Styling Skills from the Square to the Street. Two years ago, Robin, a New York City-based stylist and creative director, envisioned writing a book that would encapsulate her expertise and provide a behind-the-scenes look at the exciting career of a stylist. Robin had already developed the Prop Styling Experience, a unique hands-on workshop designed to arm anyone interested in prop styling with the tools needed to successfully conceptualize, plan, produce, and shoot creative and memorable still life projects. But taking that content and shaping a book was something she wasn't entirely prepared for. In our interview with Robin, we are going to discuss how she landed a book deal, how she dealt with structuring a book that is not a traditional layout, and how she plans to market her book to her ideal audience. But before we dive into the interview, Dave, can you tell us about Tipster? Every week we provide an email with a tip on all these different aspects of the craft of writing. And this last week, for example, we talked about the importance of just focusing on writing even before your research is done and not to focus so much on the nits, right? The details. When you start to hand somebody your writing, they start to focus on the, on the grammar and stuff. So each week we'll talk about flashbacks. We'll talk about the passive voice, when to use the passive voice, when to use the active voice. On the site, you'll see the widget that pops up. Just subscribe to it. And you'll receive the next edition of Dipster, which comes out every Friday. All right. Let's dive into our interview with Robin. Welcome, Robin, to our podcast. We are so excited to have you here. I know that you have just turned in your manuscript to the publisher and it's being published soon, right? Yep, it's at the printer. (laughs) Great. So we can't wait to talk about your book that is forthcoming. But first off, can you tell our audience what a prop stylist is and what exactly does a prop stylist do? When you look at a photograph, when you see a beautiful photograph, you think, oh, the photographer did a great job. But what if you look at the items and what's going on in the photo, you then are exposed to the work of a prop stylist. If you're looking at objects or products or and food, or any, anything that's, let's say, just journalistic photography. So the prop stylist is the person that brings all the great stuff that you see in the photograph to support the product, to support the food, whatever. It could be an, a, sort of a, a storytelling photo. It could be so many different things. But a prop stylist is the one who collects and arranges and interprets what the client wants, 
and really is so instrumental in the creation of a photograph. Can you give us a specific client with whom you've worked? Well, I do work for a chocolate brand, so that's kind of a fun job. I've done a lot of food shoots, so this chocolate client, it's, it's really fun because it's recipes with chocolate. And so there's a food stylist who is making the recipes, but I'm bringing all the dishes and the linens and the glassware and the flatware. It's really like each client is so different. I worked with a pharmaceutical client. It was a dietary supplement in the summer. And it was for a video. There was a spokesperson who somebody pretty famous was there speaking about it because she's the ambassador to this company. And I had to deck, I had to deck out the kitchen. So I brought all of the plants and, and different jars and cutting boards and dishes. And I just set up the kitchen behind her. And I set up the whole table in front of her. So, you know, every single job is completely different. Can you tell us a little bit about the prop styling experience? And I think that that had sort of where the origin of your book idea came from. Can you talk a little bit about the prop styling experience? I was, you know, teaching for a very long time. I I started out by teaching at FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. And I had a great class that was always full twice a year, like every semester, 25 students. And it was a styling class and it was a wonderful class. I taught there for nine years ongoing. That means like 18 classes worth of students. And then I decided to start teaching on my own and doing offering a more one-on-one experience. And that's where the prop styling experience came out of. I just, that was 2015. I started teaching people one-on-one and consulting. So many people were contacting me. How do I get into the business? What do I do? What, what do I need to learn? How do I conduct myself with clients and on a job? So really I've been having women, maybe, you know, anywhere from 12 to 16, 18 a year come to me for a one-on-one and I would, we would do, they would spend two to three days with me and we would learn, you know, I would go through everything. We would learn styling skills for actual, you know, setting up shots and taking photos. And then we, I would teach them about the business. And so many of them went on to do like great things. And I'm really, really proud of them. And I'm really happy that I was instrumental in their careers developing in the direction they wanted to go in. So basically, I sort of made a capsule course about the business because the business part, I think that's one part of it. The creative is so much more. I was sort of giving out all of these worksheets and handouts. So I started copying and I was like, you know what? This should just be a book. It should just be a workbook for everybody that I can give out for my students. So that's when I started thinking about a book. And that was many, that was several years ago already. This has been in, this is like been cooking for a really long time. So really the book then, you could have gone two directions. You could have gone the creative, how to create well-styled photograph, how to actually be a creative stylist, but you really decided to focus on the business side. Are there books out there on that? There was a book that's kind of old sort of a, like a soft cover book that's not, doesn't have color photos. And it's just kind of a little handbook that came out many years ago that I was using as a textbook actually in my class. 
And I wanted to do something a little more engaging and something more inviting and, you know, nicer to look at. And, you know, basically I never even opened that book during the time I was working on mine. I kind of don't like to be influenced by other things. So there were certain things I just turned my head away from and I just focused on what I wanted to do and the material that I was always presenting to my students. You see a lot of books in home decor and style, let's say, and there are some books about styling for Instagram, but not the same as mine. And so how did that fit with what you want for your future as a stylist, as a, for your prop styling experience? Like how, how do you see this book fitting into the larger life of your career? It's a good supplement to what I'm teaching, the creative classes. Now, you've attended some of my creative classes, yes. so you know that that's what I want to, I don't want to, I didn't want to give all that away right, right in one pop, you know? I didn't want to make it the encyclopedia of styling. I wanted to be on one topic, so there's more to learn from me. There will be, you know, my, I'm still going to continue doing my classes, and I'm still going to be teaching people and coaching people and taking styling jobs, you know, although I really, you know, I really enjoy the teaching part. I really enjoy sharing knowledge and then letting people kind of run with it and, and, and take off and, you know, watching these women. And now I wrote about them in the book. I wrote about, I have case studies in the book of a lot of women that have taken just a desire to be a stylist and turned it into a real career and gone on to do amazing things. Well, you have personally really shaped my life in so many ways, just with your expertise. So I know that this book is going to be so helpful for people. You're talking about including case studies. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you decided to lay out the book and the structure for your book? It's very interesting, especially because it's so image driven. I've seen some pages from it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's a not it's not conventional in the way it's not formatted the way a, a book like a cookbook or a craft book would be with like you know recipe and you know photo of a recipe and the recipe and that is the whole that's the way a cookbook is mostly laid out or a craft book would be like project and then directions you know project photo opposite directions so mine. I had a lot of different boxes and charts and sidebars and these one page case studies that included, you know, a headshot photo and then a photo of somebody's work and the text, the, you know, the interview. And there were different kinds throughout the book. There were full page spotlights and then there were shorter spotlights that were sort of uh, people that were examples of a certain type of person that considers themselves a stylist and uses styling in their work. For example, you know, I had content creator and a influencer and a shop owner and an artisan, you know, so what are all these people doing with styling? So I had examples and talked about their, them and their craft. And then I had these other longer stories that I allotted full pages for, where I would talk about like where they started, what they learned along the way, you know, how, how what they love to do, what they work on, you know, just all kinds of um, whatever was exciting in their story, I, I pulled out. And that was actually my favorite part of the, of the project of the job of working on this book was to interact with people and connect with people. But you know, it's tricky to navigate everybody's schedules and to 
get the photos and get good photos that were printable. Went back and forth with some people several times. But, you know, in the end, I think it's going to be fine. But I think it took a little while for the designer to understand how, you know, this picture should go with this text and this box refers to this. So, the, you know, a lot of things I had to move around to make sense. And that was a little tricky because they kind of plopped everything down and it wasn't always in the exactly right place. Maybe talk a little bit about the trim size, how big the book is. Like when you talk about a story being on one page, if it's the full page, is it 600 words? Is it 300 words? Any of those kind of packaging questions? It was maybe, now I don't remember, I think they were 400 words. Like I had them write their piece and then I edited it, which I actually do like editing someone else's work. So that was, that was easy for me because I, I found, you know, I took out extraneous information and I kind of pumped up the, you know, the, the sections that I thought were going to be relevant and important. Some of the shorter sidebars, the examples, let's say people that were used as examples of a type of stylus were about 150 words with a headshot and a photo. So, but that was a vertical sidebar running down the outside of the, the, you know, two running down the outside of the spread. So, you know, I had to make that determination. Like some people received the full page and um, some were in the sidebars, but the trim size, it's, it's about an eight by 10. I believe people who had full pages also had a headshot and one photo. What I love what you did with the case studies is that you took a handbook that is kind of technical and could be potentially pretty dry and you brought it to life with stories. And I think that's such a great principle to connect with the reader on a human level, because you can be telling them to do this, to do that. And then when you have a person who's actually done it, I feel like that's really inspirational. Was that your intent? Yeah, I thought that that was, I guess it gave it more of this sense to readers that they can do it too, because these are just average people. Now, I did not go to the top, top people. I imagine a book, somebody else might have done it and interviewed the famous people, (laughs) you know, the ones that everybody knows. And those people get a lot of publicity and, you know, people know who they are already. And I really want to look, I wanted to take a look at the under the radar people that are doing really cool things just so you can imagine yourself doing that. See somebody that was just a housewife and a mom with three kids at home turn herself into somebody who's painting backdrops and selling them, showing in a gallery her canvases, her photo backdrops, and getting hired to style and photograph for local businesses. I mean, that is just amazing that somebody at like sort of midlife was able to turn, you know, just like after she's done raising her kids and they're kind of, you know, a little older, she can do something for herself and use her creative talents and abilities. And I had another woman who is an attorney for, you know, a long time and, you know, in her 40s decided I want a camera and I want to change things and I want to be a photographer now, you know, and learned how to do it and came and took my workshop and really 
you know, has worked with some local clients and is doing some great things. I do make that point in my book, think of a need that isn't being serviced and isn't being fulfilled right now. So this woman started, uh, she was in the wedding space and she started a day of wedding styling. So she's not the designer of the wedding, not the party planner or anything like that, but she will, she gets hired to go on the day of the wedding and set everything up and work with just directly with the photographer. There's so much going on. There's so many people around and she's like setting up the still life shots for the photographer to come over. So he doesn't have to worry about doing that because he's running around doing a million things and trying to capture a lot. She's pulling things to the side out of the way so they could be photographed in the best light and everything. So she's got that day of wedding stylings business going. So I thought that these were all things that just needed to be needed to be heard. And I think a lot of these people are kind of under the radar. They don't have big followings. They're not like big social media superstars. They're all on social media. But I think I hope their profiles are going to be, you know, heightened a little bit by the exposure in this book. Everyone wants to know, how did you land the book deal? Because there's all these little nuggets in every story. So talk about your process to land this book deal. I was from the magazine world. I had no connections in the book world. I had ideas for books since I was probably in my 20s. I was thinking about books, but I just never crossed paths with anyone in the book world. So I was a magazine person my whole life. It's very completely different. I went to a conference where a business conference in 2020, March of 2020, where I checked off all of the book publishing seminars and, you know, panels, because that's where I want, you know, I wanted to just find out. And also there were going to be some book editors present. I found in sitting in those panels that what most of the people said were that they were approached by the publisher. They did not get the deal. They didn't pursue the deal. They were approached by the publisher. So I think one woman raised her hand and I was about to raise my hand and say, what about us? You know, we're not in the public eye. We don't have a big following. So how are we going to be found? They didn't know what to say. I mean, they were just lucky. They got book deals, you know? And actually I did meet with an editor there and I presented my idea and she said that she did not think that it was a good idea, (laughs) my book. And she said, you're better off just teaching the material. So I was like ready to just walk away and say, okay, I'm just some, just teaching the material. That's it. What I realized in hindsight is that it was not good for her company. It was not right for her roster of books. But the other serendipitous thing that happened was that I ran into somebody that I, an acquaintance at this conference who had just put out a book and told me, I told her my, oh, look, I'm, I'm thinking I'm working on a book, but I, you know, I I had thought I was going to be self-publishing at that point. I told her about it and she's like, you know what, that sounds like something that would be right for my book publishing company. And I said, oh, great. That's so nice. And, you know, we were like, yeah, yeah, thanks. That's nice. We hung out during the conference and everything. And then we said goodbye and that was it. And then a few months later, I think it was in August, she, or yeah, in August, she was like, do you have a proposal together? I want to introduce you to my editor. So this was one case where somebody, one out of very few in my life that somebody has 
get thrown me a bone, <laughs> you know, and given me a connection. And that is something I am forever grateful for that she made the introduction. They called me the next day. They wanted to meet with me. They were totally on board with it. There was no thinking about it. They were just like, certainly this is going to be great. And we like the idea. So they, I guess, gave me a contract in September and I signed the contract sometime in October. You know, they gave me a month and I talked to an attorney about it, the contract, I looked at it. And then I signed it in October of 21. This was, no, sorry, 20, 2020. (laughs) This was 2020. Okay, so yes, now it's 22. So that's about how long it takes from the contract. They gave me till the end of January to hand in the manuscript, which also was, was a little difficult. So that was November, December, January, writing the manuscript. Which, three months? Yeah. Which Only not, three months. Yeah. See, this is not, this is, I guess, part of the problem. So what I handed in as of three months was rough to say the least, it was, it was written and I had people read it and say it was great and everything, but there was, a, you know, I still had not yet done the interviews. I still did not have all the photos. I didn't, I had, I had rough photos. I had like sort of FPO type photos for position, you know, photo ideas of photos that I've taken myself or that I had, but I knew I wanted to do redo the photos and get better photo, you know, get a whole more cohesive photography, like one photographer shooting most of the book. So I did have a lot of work cut out for me, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it went. So I guess, I mean, I did not know how long you're supposed to get for a manuscript. I mean, what is, I don't even know what's average or normal. (laughs) I think it depends on every, you know, every publisher is different. When I published with Harper Collins, it was about a year. It was about, so I had from the time I landed the agreement to the time, it was maybe 11 months. So I actually, you know, I had not written the entire book yet at that point. So I just had given a couple chapters. So I wrote a chapter a month. So that seems really short, but maybe it's different in your space. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I just think it's a, it was a short amount of time and I felt a lot of pressure and I felt a lot of worry and anxiety and I turned it in and I didn't hear back from, I heard back from them a little bit, but they said they had some delays due to COVID. I had asked them, now this kind of ties in with your question about the images and everything. I asked them if they would put a layout together with that manuscript and my photos that I, like my positioning photos, so I could visualize the book because it is so interconnected with so many different moving there was just so many different moving parts and they agreed to do that so that was going to take them a while so i didn't get a layout back from them till september 1st wow so it was with them for eight months basically all that time I did receive no feedback or anything so i didn't really know and i you know i did some of the interviews but I I didn't know how, like I had sort of put spaces for the interviews, like who I was going to interview. And so I knew, so I started contacting people, but it was sort of like it, it disappeared for a while. So I kind of like took, you know, relaxed a little bit where I probably should have been doing more 
but I needed, I was waiting for some feedback, which I didn't get till September. So September 1st, I got my first layout, which was obviously going to be changed, but at least I had a framework for seeing that, you know, a chart fills this, you know, fills this space, this much text in a chart, or, you know, we're going to put a sidebar here, but I had to really go back to the drawing board a little bit and just say, well, you know, these areas are okay, but this is in the wrong place. We have to move this around. And I had an idea, like I did include creative information in the book, some how to's and things like that, but I had them kind of scattered throughout the book. And I realized that that wasn't going to work. It didn't make any sense. So I then said, we need a section, we need a creative section. So that's going to be a chapter of the book. So that was changed. Also, I had the uh, spotlight store, you know, the case studies, and I call them spotlights, but scattered throughout the book. So those kind of appeared in different places. So some I had to move around. Also, some a couple of new people popped in that I wanted to interview that I wanted to squeeze in. So there was a lot of tweaking at that stage. And then also I started examining the copy and, you know, the text and realizing that I needed some rewrites on certain parts for it to flow better, for it to make sense. So there there was a lot of work to be done. When you talk about rewriting, I know that you and I have talked about how you were expecting a little bit more developmental editing along the way. And that when you got back that original layout, they hadn't changed much of your writing. Is that true? I was looking for some help to give it a little more flair that I didn't have. I mean, writing is not my strong point. (laughs) I can write, but I'm not a writer. I'm a creative. So I'm an author and I'm a creative and I can write, but I, you know, need the help of an editor. You know, I just had to kind of pick myself up and just get going, you know, rewriting sections. I think they deferred to me because I was the expert in this area. So they kind of left it. They did ask me a couple of clarifying questions here and there, but for the most part, they left it for, you know, they deferred to me. And when I, you know, went back and read it, I saw that there was some disconnect in certain places. I needed to explain things more. I needed to flesh out certain ideas to explain it because most of the time I'm talking to somebody who maybe knows what, you know, maybe is in the business or maybe has some sense of the business. I have to really address people that are picking this up for the first time and need things explained. So therefore there's a glossary in the back also to explain some of the terms that I just kind of fling around. (laughs) I was given a lot of free reign, but I I didn't really want that. (laughs) I wanted, I wanted a little bit more um, back and forth about the content. We've talked to several authors recently that have said that the book writing process in contra distinction to like magazine work or there's just less, it's, there's just not as much attention, good or bad paid to the book. And there's the acquisitions editor. And then there's a, obviously a proofing that happens, but there's not a lot of, as Melissa mentioned, a lot of developmental editing. The thing I take away from this, and I think uh, our readers should, or listeners should take away is that you really do need to own it from from the moment you submit it to the time that thing gets released. And it sounds like 
you've really had to pay attention and, and realize nobody's coming to save you. You've got to save yourself. I guess if I had known a little bit more that it was going to be like this, I would have prepared myself. I might have hired some help, freelance help, some ghostwriting or developmental editing on my own. I would have, I, I recommend that to people, you know, think about it. And, uh, you know, a couple of people have wanted to talk to me about my experience and because they're interested in writing a book. And I said, you know, the more people you can gather together on your team, I think it's better. I think if you deliver to the publisher a more finished product, they will be happy with that because they are in the business to put out books. You have it, if you are working together, you know, a writer and a photographer, that's great. If you're, you know, if you have your own ghost writer, if writing's not your strong point, I think these are things that I would have liked to have been presented with so I could have gotten those people on my team. How do you plan to promote the book? How do you see it fitting in with what you're doing as you move forward? So the book does have a marketing department and I just met with them. They do send out press releases and they do send out copies, you know, for, to like, they do some social media and influencer marketing. I, again, I don't know to what degree. So I have been talking to some PR people. The costs are really high for a, to hire a PR person. They are really tuned in with conventional with traditional media like you know tv and and magazines i'm not sure i think my my reader is going to be on social media so that is where i really would like to focus the promotion i'm looking for somebody to do some kind of social media outreach or somebody who has a you know an idea of who the top influencers would be in this space that would help me out Also, I mean, just the fact that I've probably included about 25 people in my book that I'm hoping will photograph it and speak about it and and say, look, hey, I'm in this book. I'm also going to continue doing my class called Styling Beyond Instagram, which is where it all started last, you know, in two years ago in 2020, I was doing a free class ongoing and I just grew my mailing list from that just advertising a free class. And actually it was, you know, it wasn't one of those like classes where I was like hooking you in, like you had to buy something or up level to like some $10,000 coaching plan. It wasn't that it was just, you know, if you like me, then, and you like this and you learn something, maybe you want to take another class with me. So basically it's like, well, maybe you want to buy my book. If not welcome, you know, you can be here. So I'm just going to start running that class again. And that'll be a great tie-in. What I'm hoping is also that my connection with FIT, I've spoken to about five professors at FIT who want to have it, want to tell their class to buy it. So I'm thinking multiply, you know, five teachers, one art school in New York, how many art schools are there around the whole country that it really is a good, I think a good textbook for a photography class. So I told my publishing marketing team to tell the sales team that if they could focus their efforts towards art schools, that would be great. 
made a lot of friends on social media over the past couple of years since I've been doing this. So, you know, a lot of people have pre-ordered the book already. So, you know, the, and it just popped up in Target. I just got a notification to yesterday that it was in Target or two days ago. And um, it's at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everything like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping people are, you know, just the same people that are crawling through that find me to take a class with me through Google searches, well, it will pop up. What I love about your story, Robin, what you're sharing right now, especially is that you know who your, who your audience is. You're really crystal clear on that. And you have that persona in mind who you're writing to, who you're, you know, how you're going to get the book to them. I think that's wonderful. And I, I do think that you do such a great job using words that people would search with prop styling beyond Instagram. I mean, that's something that I would imagine myself putting in a Google search just because it's like, I want to do something beyond Instagram. So I, I think that you really understand your audience well. So congratulations on that. I do appreciate having met you and also serendipitously just yes. that's how things happen on social media, right? Sure. <laughs> so tell us about the second book that you might write. I know that you said you were trying to not put everything into one book because you could see a series of books. So if you were to write a next book, would it be more on the creative? It would be more creative focused, more how to you know, there's a little bit of that in this book. There's, I mean, there's a lot of how to's with organizing and planning and, you know, brainstorming, all of that is in this book, but a lot of the, you know, the nuts and bolts of setup and everything. I mean, I do it in the first book. I include the styling kit. I include all the things you need to know, the questions, the questionnaires, things to ask the clients, lots and lots and lots of how to. But as far as the, you know, this goes here <laughs> and this goes here and like, this is how you set something up that I haven't covered. I have some styling tips with little, little one-liners and things of like some of the tips that I include in my classes, but it will be one of the topics that I teach a class on probably, or it might encompass, I don't know. I, you know, I still have to flesh it out but I still like the format of teaching classes. And I probably have about 10 different classes right now that I just, you know, I've taken a long break during this writing process where I haven't taught that much, but I'd like to get that going again. I also like to automate some of them and put them on one of the teaching platforms. So I have something out there. Having the book will be a little bit of an introduction to me and hopefully that will go far and wide. Well, I'm eager to hear if next time you write a book, if you'll actually say, I am a writer now. (laughs) I I think so. I like the term author and getting used to the term writer as well. In my contract, I had a, you had to give the publisher the first rights of refusal. Yes. You have that as well in your contract? Yes, they, they do. So I would present it to them. And if they were interested, then we would have to have a conversation about what we can do to make it smoother this time. But I think we, we just need to sort of rehash it and figure it out and make it better and smoother. But I don't think that would be a problem. I mean, they're very lovely people. You know, they're, they're right. very agreeable and very nice. And I don't think that would be a problem. Thank you so much for your insights. Before we sign off officially with you today, I think Dave and I want to share our words of the episode. Dave, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first today. You always go first. So anodyne, 
A-N-O-D-Y-N-E. And as an, I saw this word the other day, I thought, oh, I don't think I really know what this word is. It's as an adjective, it means not likely to provoke dissent or offense, or it's inoffensive, often deliberately so. So, you know, some, some, some synonyms of it could be insipid or boring, even bland. I guess you could, you could use it as a, like even of a book, that's an anodyne book, right? It's a book that just doesn't say anything and it's so soft and it's trying not to be offensive. Polit- politicians in many ways in, in their best form probably are anodyne in their worst form. They're, you know, they're offending you with, with different things. I guess, I don't know, but it's an adjective. It also works as a noun and this has a much different meaning. It's a painkilling drug or medicine. So anodyne as a dr- is, is a painkilling drug or medicine. And that's probably where, when I saw the word, that's what I thought of. And I thought, but the way it's being used, it didn't make sense to me. So it's an adjective that means not likely to provoke dissent. I guess if you're on a painkilling drug, then everything kind of seems bland, boring, (laughs) you know? So I I guess I could see where the word translated from a noun to an adjective. All right. How about you? You always have the best words. uh, I like this one. It's a French word. It's Billy Do. And it's spelled B-I-L-L-E-T-D-O-U-X. And it simply means a love letter. So I suppose I wish that my husband would write me a Billy Do every once in a while, but he never will because, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's not a writer and he doesn't need words of love and affirmation. So I guess <laughs> I will never get a Billy Do in my life. <laughs> well, you're a four on the uh, Enneagram. So, know. you know, the, the, you're an incurable romantic. So. I know. So of course I want a Billy Do. I mean, how fun is that word to say just over and over again? It's a great word. So <laughs> it is a great word. Billy Do. I love it. All right. Well, I think we are going to sign out today. And thank you again, Robin, so much for sharing your experience. It's such a rich experience and you gave so many wonderful insights for our listeners to glean. It Really, I know that it was a painful experience at times just because writing a book is just a huge undertaking, but you have been so generous in what you have shared. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Dave, I think that we are done. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.